0: Today we're continuing our road trip series, this series that we started last week where we're taking some time as we journey towards Easter to go on a bit of a road trip together uh, to be able to have some shared experiences together, uh, but also to have a look at a number of narratives that happen throughout scripture that occur on the road. And so today we're going to uh, kind of get into these road stories and the hope with this series is that it helps to build a sense of anticipation and expectation about what we're going to reflect on on Good Friday and what we're going to celebrate at Easter Sunday to really help us enter into uh, what it looks like to depend on Jesus and uh, to increase that sense of connection with God. So today, our first story comes from uh, Jesus heading out on the road into the desert. And so we're going to jump straight into it and recognize that the context for this story is that it comes immediately after Jesus' baptism. So the very verse before the ones that we're looking at today uh, is Jesus' Jesus getting baptised in the Jordan River. This really, really significant moment for him. We don't know very much about what happens in Jesus' life for the first 30 years of his life, but all of a sudden he appears going down to the Jordan River to get baptised. And there's this voice from heaven That says, this is my own dear son with whom I am very well pleased. So it's a really, really significant moment, not just for Jesus, but for all of the people who could hear, wow, this guy Jesus, there's something significant about him. So it's good for us to recognise that the logical next step from this point is that Jesus would begin his earthly ministry. Surely after that, you would take the momentum, you would go and start talking to people about who God is and about why you came and the whole purpose in why Jesus was here. And yet we see the exact opposite happens. After that really significant high experience that Jesus has, he's taken out into the wilderness and into the desert. And so that's where we pick the story up today in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, which says, "...then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil." So, we have this mysterious figure who appears on the scene while Jesus is out in the desert, whose name is the devil. We'll also see through this passage that he's also called Satan, and those two words are used interchangeably throughout Scripture. Both of them uh, mean in different ways a couple of things that really help us to understand the character of this person that we call the devil. He is understood as the enemy, as the slanderer. As the accuser, that's really what his focus is. We believe that all of us were created to live in a full, complete relationship with God and to experience his best. And this character, the devil, the Satan, the accuser, the enemy, wants to drag us away from that as often as possible. Throughout scripture, we see him using a whole bunch of different strategies to just take people away from what God's best is. Generally, those uh, those dragging aways look like one of two things, distraction or distortion. Right from the very beginning of Scripture, we have him saying to Adam and Eve, did God really say that about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? So that's one of his biggest strategies, just distorting things slightly. Did God really say that? Does God really not want you to do that? Does it really matter if you don't go in that direction? It's one of his big strategies. But the other one that I think he uses more than ever today is distraction. To just turn our attention away from God and get us focused on other things. Because if he can do that and have our attention diverted away from God, then he's kind of done his job. And in an era and in a culture where we have so much noise around us, TV, music, radio, the internet, uh, advertising that bombards us with images constantly... The devil has actually a pretty easy job to do, to just distract us, just turn our attention away from who God is, from what God has done, from what God's best is, and to divert us away from the path that God wants us to go down. What's really, really important as we recognize this character is that he has no power over us. Those are his strategies to distort things or distract us, but at the end of the day, he doesn't actually have the power to make us do any of those things. We're going to focus on that more when we get to Easter to recognise that Jesus' death and resurrection are final. Jesus has won the victory over this character, the devil, and so we have no need to fear him, but we need to be aware of the tactics that he wants to use to drag us away from God's best. So, this character, the devil, comes along and he tempts Jesus. The word that we've translated as tempt is probably more accurately translated as going through a testing or a trial. When we look at temptations, that's really what we're talking about. Being tested or going through a difficult time of trial. And we want to recognise that God is not the one who initiates those things in our lives. And that's a really, really important statement. Because sometimes we can think God is the one who tests us. God is the one who puts us through these trials... And normally we think that because we think that God is constantly just wanting to check whether we're going to mess up. So I'm going to put you through this test to just see whether you're legitimate or not. Just see whether you are actually following me authentically. I'm going to put you through this and we'll see how you do. See whether you pass or not. But testing, trials, temptation is actually about us. It's not about God. When we go through difficult times, when we go through tests, when we go through trials... It's actually about us learning, about us being able to learn that we are often stronger than we thought that we were with God's help, that we need God more than we thought that we actually did, that we can trust God much more than we thought that we could. It's in those difficult trials and tests that we discover those things. It's similar to when we're kids, we all need to grow up by going through difficult times. And if we never go through any difficult times, we don't discover the things that we need to discover about how to live life. However, God isn't the one who initiates those things. God isn't the one who forces those things on us. That would be like a parent intentionally putting their kid into a difficult situation to say, let's just see how you do with this. And no parent would do that. So why would the God who is the God of love do that to us either however god does allow us to go through these things and so that's the really important distinction to hold on to here god doesn't initiate these things god doesn't force them on us but god allows us to go through trials to go through difficult times so that we can learn more about him and so that we can learn more about ourselves so that's the context for what jesus goes through this character the devil appears on the scene to test him to put him through some trials that are about distractions and distortions and jesus goes through these times of trial to be able to discover the choices that he's going to make ultimately about where that leads him about his dedication and his commitment to what god has called him to do so in verse two we kind of take a step backwards and read that after spending 40 days and 40 nights without food Jesus was hungry. This is probably one of the most obvious verses in all of Scripture. After 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything, guess what? Jesus was hungry. Wow, what a shocking revelation. I know for some of us, if we go 40 minutes without food, we are really, really hungry. But it is important for us to understand how Jesus is feeling in this moment. Just think about it. 40 days and 40 nights without any food. I suspect Jesus was probably a little bit more than hungry. Jesus would have been starving. Jesus would have been feeling so weak, so vulnerable. And it's in that context that the devil comes and puts him through all of these tests. And the key question that we're going to see as we look at all the different ways in which the devil comes at him is really this question of dependence. It's a question for Jesus to work through to say, am I going to choose to depend on God and his power and his strength or am I going to choose to depend on myself and what I can do? So in verse 3, the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you're God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. Now this word, if... Is one that we can interpret a couple of ways. The incorrect way to interpret that is that Satan's kind of asking a bit of a question here. If you're God's son, I don't know whether you're God's son or not, but if you are, then maybe you'd like to do this. But we can also interpret the word if by the word since, which is the more accurate way of being able to understand what the devil is saying here. Since you are God's son, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Again, remember the context of what's happened just before all of this with Jesus out in the wilderness is that he was baptised with this declaration over him, you are God's son, you are my own dear son with whom I'm well pleased. And so the devil comes along and just kind of says, well, since you're God's son, since God's so well pleased with you, why don't you use that for your own benefit? You must be really, really hungry, so why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You're God's son, you can do this, it'll be really, really easy for you. And so this is the first temptation that Jesus encounters, is the temptation of provision. The temptation to say, I'm going to rely on myself and what I can provide, instead of trusting in God's provision. So in verse 4, Jesus responds, and he says... The scripture says human beings cannot live on bread alone, but need every word that God speaks. So it's interesting that Jesus' response is something that comes from scripture, which is a good challenge to all of us to say how much are we processing scripture? How much are we internalizing scripture? How much are we leaning into what Jesus wants us to know about how life works so that when we go through difficult times, Our instant response is to be able to say, no, I know that's not aligned with God's best because it's internalized inside of me. Jesus' instant reaction is to go to scripture. And the passages of scripture that Jesus uses throughout this passage come from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8 bit of context for where that all comes from. So a little bit of a sideline here. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for a long, long time. And God then miraculously saved them from that and rescued them from that and uh, brought them across the Red Sea so that they could live the way that God wanted them to be able to live. But, and this is kind of the narrative of the whole of the Old Testament, God says, this is the best way for you to live. And the Israelites say, thanks but no thanks, we're going to go this way instead. And so sure enough, they do that once again, and they end up wandering around in the desert for 40 years, not 40 days, for 40 years. A whole generation ends up being lost in the desert because of their choice to say, thanks but no thanks, God, we're going to go this way. After all that happens, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, that beautiful, wonderful scene that we see so beautifully shown in the Ten Commandments, where he meets with God and where God gives him a whole bunch of instructions, again, about what it looks like to live the way that God wants the Israelites to live. And in the context of that, particularly in Deuteronomy 6, 7 and 8, we read those instructions unpacked. And so what Jesus quotes here is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this occurs after, this is Moses, reminding the people of Israel that they were lost in the desert, but God provided for them miraculously. Every day, there would be this bread that would come down from heaven that was called manna, and God provided for their needs over and over again while they were lost in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it says these words, He, God, gave you manna to eat, food that you and your ancestors had never eaten before. But he did this to teach you that you must not depend on bread alone to sustain you, but on everything that the Lord says. Moses wants the Israelites to remember God didn't give you food in the desert so that you could just have food. God gave you food so that you could be reminded that God always wants to provide for you in every way, not just about material needs, but for everything that you need. And so Jesus says the same thing in response to, I can provide for myself. He says, it's not just about my hunger. This is a question about whether I depend on God for everything or whether I want to choose to go my own way. Now, we should be careful not to interpret this as Jesus saying we don't need to eat because that's definitely not what he's saying at all. But as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, isn't life worth so much more than food and clothes and the basics of life. The question is really, how much do we crave just the simple things that we need each day, and how much do we crave a deeper level of connection with God, a deeper level of connection and dependence on Him to offer everything that He can give us, not just the basics. So, verse 5, The devil then took Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, and set him on the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, If you're God's son, throw yourself down. For the scripture says, God will give orders to his angels about you. They will hold you up with their hands, so that not even your feet will be hurt on the stones. So the second temptation is about popularity. To have people say, Wow, Jesus, you are so amazing. You jumped off the temple and you made it. That's really, really incredible. We should come and follow you. And it's really interesting that the devil himself uses scripture to back up what he is saying here. Those verses that he quotes come from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And Psalm 91 is this beautiful psalm that helps us to understand that God always wants to look after us that God wants to provide for us, that God wants us to depend on him. But the devil takes that and twists it and distorts it and manipulates it so that it's now about Jesus providing for himself. And so this is a good reminder to us that just reading scripture is not enough. We don't just read scripture for the sake of reading scripture. Apparently, even the devil does that. We read scripture so that we can understand the heart of God so that we can really understand what God is trying to say to us. It's why it's important for us to read that together, to learn together, to unpack it together, not just read it and then say, we've done our good deed. Sadly, throughout the centuries, scripture has been distorted and manipulated over and over again. And so often it is about this question of dependence. It is about us taking scripture and saying, God wants you to be wealthy God wants you to have all of this stuff in your life, which Jesus kind of says the exact opposite of. Jesus, uh, God wants you to be really, really popular. God wants you to be liked by everyone. That's, again, not quite what we read in Scripture. And then in the next temptation, we're going to read about the idea of power. And sadly, more than anything else, Scripture has been abused over and over again to talk about power. To say, it's all about me and me getting my way. We have to be so careful when we read scripture that we're understanding the original context of it and what God is really saying. So Jesus replies in verse seven, scripture also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. Again, a part of those instructions that Moses gives where he says, don't put God to the test. And Jesus says, God's not like some kind of magic genie where you rub the bottle and then out comes God. And he says, I am here to grant you three wishes. What would you like? That's not at all how God is supposed to work. And in particular, Jesus is challenging the idea that it's okay for us to make really dumb decisions and then say, God, bail me out of this. I messed up. Fix it for me. God gives us the ability to make wise choices in our lives. And when we make poor choices, we have to recognize that there are often consequences that are attached to the poor choices that we make. It really comes down to motive. Again, the devil takes this beautiful piece of scripture that says we can depend and rely on God's protection in any scenario and turns it into a party trick, where Jesus can jump off the temple, have God come in and save him, and then have people say, Wow, Jesus, you're amazing. Do another trick, do something else. We want to follow you because you're popular now god doesn't want us to go through pain and suffering don't misinterpret what's being said here at all but we cannot blame god for the decisions that we make that are not aligned with his best like jumping off the top of a really tall building and then hoping that god is going to somehow jump in and save us god wants to take care of us god wants to look after us god wants us to depend on him But if our relationship with God is simply, God, bail me out of this tough situation that I've got into, and then we never think about him again, we've missed what God's best is, and we've missed what dependence looks like. So then the third temptation in verse 8 is the devil coming along, and he takes Jesus to a very high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in all their greatness. And he says, all of this I will give to you if you will kneel down and worship me. And so the third temptation is the temptation of power. To say, if you bow down to me, then I will give you all of this. Everyone will be under your control. You can get them to do whatever you want. Wouldn't that be really, really amazing, Jesus? All you have to do is bow down and worship me. In verse 10, Jesus responds to that. He says, go away, Satan. The scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Once again, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, There is only one who is worthy of our worship, and that's God. And there is only one way to live, and that's to serve the God that we worship. Ultimately, we know that that is the path that Jesus takes all the way to the cross, rejecting power over and over again, choosing to lay down his life and to serve all of us, taking the way of the cross provision popularity and power these three areas that we often struggle with in our lives that ultimately all come back to this question of dependence do we want to depend on ourselves or do we want to depend on god so why did jesus have to go through all of these temptations as we said near the start after jesus baptism wouldn't it have made a whole lot more sense for him to just get into it get into telling people about God's best and why he came well for Jesus this was an important experience because it allowed him to be able to wrestle with these things and to get to the point where he could say I choose dependence on God I know the path that I need to walk and so away I go and it really comes down to the sort of messiah or rescuer that he was going to be and we've talked about this before The expectations of this Messiah who was going to come, who'd been prophesied for centuries, was this one who was going to be able to depend on his own strength. A military ruler who was powerful and popular and had all these resources at his disposal and could come and make Israel the most powerful nation on earth. That's what so many people expected. And so in this moment, before Jesus even starts his ministry, he has to wrestle with that question. Am I going to be like that? Or am I going to choose to be the servant King? And we know the direction that Jesus ultimately goes. But the other reason why it's really important that Jesus goes through this experience is so that we can understand that He can relate to us when we struggle. Hebrews chapter four verse 15 puts it this way. "We have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. In the Old Testament, there's an understanding of a high priest as one who's kind of a go-between between people and God. So you would take your sacrifices and your offerings to the high priest, and the high priest would be the one who would offer you forgiveness, who would pray on your behalf. But we understand that Jesus is not this high priest who's distant and far off, this one who's kind of just all holier than now. We have a high priest who we can relate to, who has been through everything. That we have been through, but who was able to make the right choice over and over again. Jesus has been tempted in every way any of us will be tempted, probably, and then some. And so when we're struggling, we know we can turn to Him and He can say, I understand, I know what that's like. So, as we continue to walk this road towards Easter, there are a number of ways in which we might find ourselves relating to Jesus' experience on the road into the desert. For some of us, it may simply be that right now, we actually feel like we are in the desert. We feel like we're in that season of 40 days and 40 nights, that we are struggling significantly. We feel like we're all alone. It could be because we're struggling with health, with finances. It could be we're struggling with isolation. All sorts of different things. We're asking the question, God, where are you? In the midst of what's going on right now, where are you? I feel so lost and so alone. Others of us might be struggling with temptations, all of which come back to this question about dependence. For some of us, we might be struggling with the question of dependence around provision, feeling the pressure to provide for ourselves or feeling the pressure to provide for other people. Or just the pressure of keeping up with other people, accruing wealth, accruing assets, making sure that we've got everything under control. For some of us, it could be about dependence around popularity, the temptation of wanting people to like us, worrying about what other people think about us, jealousy about how other people are perceived. For some of us, it could be the temptation of power. Why can't I just do What I want to do? Or maybe it's this way why can't everyone else do what I want them to do? But there are all these questions about dependence. Am I trying to depend on myself or am I relying on God? All of these temptations are ultimately either distractions or distortions that drag us away from God's heart, from God's love, and from God's best. All of them drag us away from what it looks like to depend on God. And that's why this season of Lent is so powerful for us. This time leading up to Easter, we've got the opportunity to slow down and to wrestle with these questions, to say, where do I feel tempted? Where do I feel like I'm going through a testing time, through a trial, where there is a question about where my dependence lies? Am I trying to rely on myself or am I trying to rely on God? We can take the time during this season to really lean into that. Say, where does my allegiance lie? What is my number one priority during this season as I head towards Easter? So as we wrap up our message and get ready to transition into a time of communion, I want to leave this reflection question for us as we head into this week. How does God want me to increase my dependence on Him? How does God want me to increase my dependence on Him? For those of us who do feel like we're lost in the desert... We do feel like we're in a wilderness experience. We feel like we're all alone. It may be simply about recognising that's impossible. There is no place where God is not. So it doesn't matter how isolated you feel, how alone you feel, how much you're struggling, how much the darkness feels like it's closing in. God is with you in the midst of your difficult circumstance. He hasn't left you. He's there with you. For those of us who are struggling with temptations, We need to recognize the question that's really being asked what am i depending on is it myself is it material stuff is it these other things that i'm going to or is it god for some of us it simply could be the challenge about saying do i know scripture well enough do i know jesus heart and jesus teaching well enough to be able to push back about stuff that's not god's best It's part of the reason why we've got this reading plan that's available out in the foyer that if you want to read through the book of john with us through the season of lent there's an opportunity to do that to just be able to dig into scripture again to dig into jesus words and to continue to internalize those it could also be about just recognizing that if we are going through a difficult time jesus actually understands whatever we're going through jesus has been there he's faced it and he's come out the other side strong so whatever the difficult times are we're going through jesus gets it he's there with you in the midst of your difficult circumstances so as we continue on our journey through lent it's one of the questions for us to wrestle with how can we increase that sense of dependence on god reliance on god because he wants to be there to provide for us to protect us in every single way so let's continue to lean into that and to learn from that let's pray Jesus, we do thank you that in you we have someone who has experienced everything about what it means to be human. You have experienced every temptation that we have experienced. You have experienced grief, sadness, joy, isolation, being left alone, having people turn their back on you. There is no thing that we go through as humans that you have not experienced. And that allows us to come to you with confidence, regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in, it's such a comfort to know that we don't have to pretend that we've got it all together. We don't have to pretend that everything's fine as we come and approach you, but we can be real and honest and genuine with you and know that you wrap your arms around us and say, I get it. I've been there. I understand what it's like. I know how hard it is. But we thank you that you also give us a model to follow of what it looks like to make the choice that we know is aligned with God's best. And in particular, we understand that in all of life, God, your heart for us is that we can depend on you, that we can rely on you, that we can turn to you. And not just for the simple stuff of life, not just in the times when we're struggling, but in every single moment, you want us to feel a sense of connection to you and a sense of dependence on you. So, as we go into this week, I pray that you would continue to challenge us about what that looks like in practical ways. That you would increase our sense of dependence on you so that we can continue to experience all that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I invite Ross and those who are helping with communion to come forward.